every single person that I explained this awesome idea to was 100% of the belief that there was no way that that would ever possibly work and that it sounded like a, a pyramid scheme. And why don't you just, if you want to be a builder, why don't you just get software? I'm like, I don't want to be a builder. I, I just think that there's opportunity to go and meet a whole bunch of builders and change their change their lives by um, putting all this horsepower into them. And at the time, it wasn't even horsepower yet. It was just an idea. This is the Beats Working Show. We're on a mission to redeem work, the word, the place, and the way. I'm your host, Mark Wright. Join us at Winning the Game of Work. Welcome to Beats Working. On the show today, the power of visionary thinking. Ever since Dave Young was a kid, he's been fascinated with real estate, fascinated by how it creates wealth, by the dreams attached to it, and how universal real estate is to all of our lives. Dave is a self-described dreamer, and he lived for decades with undiagnosed ADD. A turning point came when he told one of his brothers, hey, I've got this great idea. And his brother said, stop, I don't want to hear about something else you're not going to do. That was a wake-up call for Dave, but it led him to a deeper understanding of who he is and how he thinks. And it turns out that dreamer aspect of Dave's personality is actually one of his superpowers. It even led to him writing screenplays. Today, Dave Young is helping lead Allaire Homes. It's a massively successful Canadian company that franchises and supports luxury home builders across North America. The clip you just heard at the top is what other people told Dave after Allaire CEO Blair McDaniel shared his vision of what Allaire could become. Our conversation begins when I asked Dave how, at 12 years old, he fell in love with real estate. Well, yeah, 12-year-old Dave was, uh, it's interesting that you say it like that. 12-year-old Dave was, that's about the time that I got interested in real estate and that my parents uh, exposed my brothers and I to uh, the notion that you could buy a property using very little of your own money, fix it up, have somebody else live in it, pay all the bills. You got to keep what was left over. And on top of it, you ended up with a house at the end. That was really uh, compelling. Leading up to that, my brothers and I had always been interested in raking leaves, cutting lawns. Uh, back in This shows my age, but back in the day, we would go on bottle hunts where we would we would ride our bikes around with <clears throat> with uh, with a basket and bags if you were lucky, and you would look for uh, Coke bottles or beer bottles, and and you know uh, there'd be times where you'd be like, "Stop the car! Stop the car! I see a keeper." Uh, <laughs> so we sort of upgraded. That's not really that scalable, Mark, uh, in, in the long run. And I and I, as a kid, I instantly saw the scale. As a twelve year old, I saw the scalability of a of apartment building uh, or apartment and multifamily rentals. So very fortunate that my my uh, my parents exposed us to that. And by the time I was at finished high school and going off to university, I knew the only reason I was going off to school was to grow up and to have that get away from your parents experience. And, and as soon as I was done, I, I finished my post-secondary education with a degree and then at the same time a real estate license and got right to it when I when I got back. I think that's such an interesting story and I have to I have to comment on the collecting bottles. We lived on high, what used to be old Highway 99 just south of the Canadian border um, and it used to be like the I-5 before I-5 was built. And we had a donkey named Jezebel, and we would put burlap sacks over Jezebel's back, and we would walk up and down the roadway collecting bottles. And uh, I think it was Lucky Lager Beer had the ring around the top, and that was worth two cents instead of just one cent when we took it to the bottle recycler. So uh, I have fond memories of, it's shocking how many, and sad, how many beer bottles were thrown out along the roadways back yeah. then. But uh that's that was one of my earliest recollections of hey we can make money at this. I don't know what people are thinking right now. I'm I'm talking about doing a, riding a riding a bike and you're bringing a donkey into into this <laughs> thing. You win, buddy. You win. 
I seem to remember they were five cents. Um, and in Canada, we didn't get anything for cans. I don't know if you had, uh, if, if uh, cans qualified back in the day or not, but I remember them. Just as just the raw weight, yeah, yeah they would crush the aluminum and get paid yeah, by the pound. Nothing yeah. to us, and liquor bottles weren't uh, worth anything either. It was the beer and the pop bottles, so the keeper was a big deal. Yeah. So talk about your uh, early career. I think it's just fascinating, Dave, that your parents taught you that because I think the lesson most of us were taught by our parents is is just what they knew at the time, and that is, you know, you get a job and you work for a company and you work hard and somehow you'll get rewarded for it. But I think the beauty of your story is that your parents taught you how to create wealth as opposed to just working for somebody else, which I think is such a fascinating lesson. Yeah, and it's interesting because their their parents believed exactly what you just described and then they believed that as well. And my dad, you know, he was always entrepreneurial uh, or had a a bit of an entrepreneurial streak uh, from his family, actually. And, uh, but I, I think he kind of felt held back and, and went the safe route always. And he was a materials manager at a factory and we lived in a small town. So when that factory, uh, shut down, uh, he was looking for what to do next and had a close uh, friend of the family who was the local real estate broker. And that combination of my dad having just decided, Hey, I'm going to, you know, pull the trigger and let's get an investment property. I think that could work to this opportunity of uh, becoming a realtor, not necessarily by choice at the time, um, but because there were limited options and uh, the confidence of a friend who said, I think you would be good at this and you would like it. And um, yeah, it really changed their their trajectory. They went from you know a, a part-time teacher and a mid-level, you know, sort of entry-level fa- uh, factory um, manager uh, to being curious about this. And I think it's that curiosity. Uh, I call them little red threads. You, you need to pull them every once in a while. Sometimes it's just a little tiny piece of thread and other times, whether it's a, the right question, you can unravel a whole different, uh, whole different future. So that, that curiosity, having a little bit of success, seeing the model work, then they started to do another one here and another one there. So it, uh, that combined with, you know, what the success they were having in real estate, allowing them to do a few more because they could, it's always about qualifying for mortgages. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, we got, it it was really nice to see a a living example of it and created momentum for uh, for me as well. So looking back at that time, uh, I think those of us who who haven't invested in real estate before, I think we kind of have a romantic idea of what it is. and, And I think we underestimate how easy it is because there's a lot to it. It's it's an actual business, and and if you do some things wrong, it could really come back and bite you. What was the the biggest lesson that you learned as you watched your parents develop real estate? Uh, that's a, that's an interesting question. I think well, the secret is other people's money, um, opium, but not that kind of opium. Other people's money. <laughs> that was apparent pretty early on. So the the big challenge is. Um, finding the seed capital and then funding it. So when I bought my first building, I was, um, well, I'd had a, I'd had a, a small flip first that gave me a little bit of seed money and a little bit of mon- momentum. But my next building, I lucked into uh, a 15 unit apartment building that under normal circumstances, nobody, you know, in my position would have been able to, um, acquire, but there was, um, uh, the sellers, it was a group of sellers, sort of a small consortium, and they had sold a building earlier in the year, and it made financial sense from a tax standpoint for them to sell this one. So uh, they agreed to hold a substantial second mortgage, and at the time, interest rates were way different. It was 10 and 3 eighths. Was, I agreed to assume this high-rate mortgage. I, I paid 10% wow. interest on a second, and I, ended, I borrowed some from my parents. I ended up buying it with, I think, $9,000 of my own money. And a year and a half later, interest rates had, I renewed the mortgage at 7.35%. And because of the increase in value through the lower rates, I was able to pay out uh, pretty much all the debt right there. So I was like, hey, uh, when I say all, all the debt, I mean the uh, the second mortgages, not, not the entire ah. mortgage and everything like that. But anyway, you quickly learn that it's, uh, 
coming up with the seed money and then qualifying for the loans. And nowadays it's all about putting together the right investor groups and bringing, bringing deals. So the people that are doing it and scaling it at a large magnitude now uh, definitely have some, uh, some things that you can learn, but I did it the old fashioned way is, you know, scrape together a down payment and uh, then try and find a way to qualify for that loan. And if you need another investor, go out and go out and get them. How old were you, Dave, at that first property? That one, I was, I was 25 for that one. Wow. Yeah. And was that your was that your career when once you were done with school and and you you got out into yeah. the world what 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 was your actual so career? So I uh, my actual career at that point was uh, selling real estate. I loved the idea of doing that because I could have total freedom, my own hours. Uh, I I joke around and I think I may have mentioned this when we spoke earlier that I'm basically un- I feel like I'm unemployable. Uh, that I need that that freedom and you know. I'm, trying to change things too much for most people. But, um, yeah, I, um, that suited you, I take it in terms of, you know, why, why were you successful, uh, at that? It, uh, it just naturally came easy to me. I could tell when I talked to people what they wanted and what they were looking for, sometimes mm-hmm. even if they couldn't, uh, see what it was. And then it was also a fun challenge for me if I knew what they wanted to go out and, and find it. What was a little intimidating at the beginning was that, you know, this is a, that's an industry where when you first start out, it's about friends and family and network and connections. I was 23 years old, fresh out of school and didn't have that built up yet because, and whatever friends and family, local friends and family we had, they were already doing business with my parents. So that, that aspect was gone, but I, I loved being up at the lake, like our, our family cottage was 30 minutes away from the house. And whenever my parents had gone up there, they didn't want the phone ringing, they wanted to tune out. So that's where I tapped into the network and I loved being able to be showing, going out, looking at properties in the boat, um, all that sort of thing. For about three or four years, that was my primary, primary career. It allowed me to have the tools to find investment properties uh, so I, I think I had a small portfolio of 25 or 30 units, something like that. By the time I, uh, said, Hey, if I don't get out of this little town, which I love, I won't have experienced life the way it should be. Uh, like I won't have known any, any difference. So I actually, at that point got lured away to the city, uh, to the big city of Toronto. And I had friends in the pharmaceutical business and I thought, wow, this would be nice. Stable, stable income. Like you're not a, you're not an entrepreneur. You're not a sole proprietor. So better to qualify for mortgages and, uh, this, the stable income, it was a pretty fun lifestyle. Came with a car, uh, cool people. And, uh, I, after about, it didn't take me long to realize that I hated it because it was still quite, uh, could still be quite structured and you were actually employed and maybe you got two to three weeks of vacation a year, all your adventures and fun were, uh, over. So Hmm. I ended up, uh, next, uh, had an opportunity in the, uh, in the technology space where, uh, my uncle worked for a, uh, a large land surveying company that also did a project for the provincial government where they flew over uh, southern Ontario and took ortho imagery. So imagery at 10,000 10, feet, kind of like you would see on Google Maps uh, nowadays by satellite. They were early adopters and had done this by, by plane. And then they stitched all the photos together and they had relationships with a bunch of data providers so they could layer all this information. And my uncle reached out to me and said, listen, we're, we think that you could do something cool with, with this uh, for real estate. Would you come and work with us as a consultant and be part of a team that's putting, this, putting together a real estate application? So I said, sure, that sounds like fun. I'm, I'm sure that'll work. And we went and did and uh, put that together. We layered uh, 
real estate information over top of school information and population, and you could turn the data sets on or off, just, just like you would see today on Google Maps, but before it ever existed in that commercial format. And we thought, this is dynamite. We took it out to the top three real estate brands and a massive association, and they said, this is incredible. We can never let the public see this. <laughs> so we went, what? We saw it as such a first mover advantage game breaker. But at the time, the um, over 50% of realtors in, uh, in Ontario would not allow the address of their listings to be shown online because the wow. mindset was more of a scarcity versus abundance mindset. There was concern mm -hmm. that if you didn't have to call me to get the information, uh, that I would I'd risk losing out on the, on the business. So it was, uh, you know, it was that captivity feeling and we we're like, but that's not going to last. Like we remember I, when I first started, it was books. You couldn't find out about list. There'd be a little bit of information in the paper. And then you had to go see a realtor who had the MLS book, the actual physical book, <laughs> um, to be able to see all the properties that are for sale. So <clears throat> access, you know, and when access to information and fairly readily available or becoming more readily available information, when access to information is your business, you should be mindful of your future. Um, because we saw this happen. Um, our realtors, the real estate industry has evolved. There's plenty of uh, ways that realtors have expanded their services and provide value in all kinds of different ways. But relying on um, that type of uh, that type of hook is very, very short lived. So what happened was we, we couldn't believe it. Uh, everybody loved it. Uh, and then uh, a company said, hey, all these realtors want it. We would like to uh, we would like to take it and serve it up to the realtors behind the curtain. And so that's what uh, that's what ended up happening next. I got invited to come work with that company and run their real estate division. And we ended up selling that product, tying it to their core product and brought in a bunch of others, other things uh, and ended up delivering that to over 40,000 realtors uh, across, across Ontario. Again, it didn't take me too long to realize the corporate environment wasn't right for me. I felt like I had all these ideas. I couldn't move the Queen Mary. Like you want to turn that thing, you can push as much as you want on it, but it's only turning a little bit at a time. And I had developed all these relationships uh, and was having fun with the emerging technology and uh, went out on my own, put, a, put, uh, put together a company that was basically reselling uh, and repackaging other companies' uh, products and re reimagining them for the real estate space and did that for a, uh, a number of years until I got a call out of the blue one day, which sort of took me to where I am now, uh, in my career as, and this is funny to say as a builder, you know, construction pot, I have a construction podcast and I'm not a construction guy. Uh, but I had a call out of the blue that just changed the course of what I was going to do next. And that was Alaire Homes? And that was a call, yeah, related to Alaire. So um, just funny how stuff works out sometimes. But I... Uh, Isn't that funny? Yeah. Every, uh, every experience that you had had kind of led you to that point, right? It's funny because in, uh, in some ways, no, because I'm not handy at all. I'm not really like a, a builder. <laughs> um, yeah, I've done... Come on, I was trying yeah, to make you I look know. good. <laughs> yeah, and I need all the help I can get with that. But, um, you know, what I think the, uh, the coolest part about the story is that I had somebody reach out to me. It was because of what they, they knew about my business development uh, history. They knew about my interest in real estate. And they, had, they reached out to me because they thought this would be a good fit. And it was, a, it was actually a franchise sales rep. And he had just landed the rights to be able to, you know, to something new that he was bursting at the seams to tell me about and said, I've, I've never seen a, 
a franchise system like this before. In 20 years, I haven't bought into you know doing any of them. It's sort of the golden rule, but I'm I want to do this one, and I, and uh, I want my brother to do it, and you know want to go in on it with you. And I'm like, okay, what is it? He said, it's a custom home building franchise. I said, dude, I am out, like d- <laughs> done. Um, Terry Lynn, my wife, jokes around that the best tool in the toolbox for me is the checkbook uh, or business cards. That's, you know, that'll back in the day, that would have been a good start too. But anyway, he said, wait, 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 wait. He started to tell me about it. And he said, listen, I just, I want you to hear it from Blair, the founder. And he's a real estate guy. And so he used that too. He's like, his family owns lots of apartment buildings. You're going to hit it off. And I'm like, why not? Like somebody, you know, why wouldn't you take a little bit of time? And I like new stuff. So there was a little red thread and I'm like, why not tug on it? So I ended up agreeing to a 30 minute call with Blair McDaniel and, uh, that, and, and, and the gentleman who had called me said, okay, thanks. Cause I already told him you would do it. So <clears throat> it was lucky for him that I did as well. But, um, that 30 minute call with Blair went two hours and 45 minutes. And I heard a, a young guy's vision of what he could achieve uh, or what we could achieve in a custom home building space from the standpoint of changing an industry, a fractured industry where you have all of these small businesses all running in completely different ways. And uh, crazy public opinion about them and like just a mess, uh, like the most fragmented, you know, and, and coming from real estate where they would, you know, they used to say, Oh, it's like, you know, it's like herding cats. Right. Um, the better version of that I heard one time is like trying to raise frogs in a wheelbarrow. The, the visual for that, especially as a, having been a kid who's uh, actually hunted for frogs, um, is, is, uh, I love that visual spectacular, (laughs) right? So, so you've got this fractured industry, everybody all over the place and the opportunity to leverage a mastermind, put in back office services, share marketing, share brand, share all kinds of stuff. And, um, and Blair got into it with me about how he had researched, all the different franchises and you know everybody told them no it's too complicated it you know it won't work but the more difficult it is the the more valuable it's going to be when it when you are able to solve that problem and the market for it was is huge and this is you know uh we're coming up on we're just about at my 10-year anniversary so it was very exciting to hear about this to learn about to compare what he wanted to do with consolidation in other in other um, verticals, and when we looked at it, we you know we could not find an example of a of a vertical or an industry that hadn't been through some form of consolidation, where you either had big players buying up smaller players or or leveraged services or collaborations of some kind. Every single industry has them, and some of the most successful brands are built around that. And so I was hooked. I spent the next few, I would say weeks or months. It's hard for me to tell because I was in the middle of five back surgeries at that time, which is a completely, that's a completely different show. Uh, Pretty much crippled and uh, doing the wrong stuff to manage pain or doing what I had to do to manage pain, I guess you could say. Um, Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, it was, it ended up, I tried, I wanted to poke holes in it. So I I went to people I knew who were business people related to the, uh, to the construction industry. And without a doubt, every single person that I explained this awesome idea to was 100% of the belief that there was no way that that would ever possibly work and that it sounded like a, a pyramid scheme. And why don't you just, if you want to be a builder, why don't you just get software? I'm like, I don't want to be a builder. I, I just think that there's opportunity to go and 
meet a whole bunch of builders and change their change their lives by um, putting all this horsepower into them. And at the time, it wasn't even horsepower yet. It was just an idea. Uh, there, there wasn't even an office in Ontario. There was maybe a four or five um, Allaire offices that had started out in Nanaimo, BC. And here it was, the seed of an idea. But um, yeah, there's. we just had a call this week. There's 100 Allaire locations across North America now. And uh, I'm very fortunate to collaborate with some really high think like high level uh builders and when i say that i don't mean i i don't instinctively mean or instinctually mean that they're high level from um a quality or caliber standpoint they definitely are but what's more impactful to me is how high level they are in terms of what they want to achieve with their business how they're driven to create opportunity for other people the mindset that we're attracting that's what makes it fun for me because you get to a point where you want to be able to pick and choose who you're who you're spending your time with who you're supporting who you're elevating and and who's um who's going on that mission with you and uh like i said i'm, I'm really fortunate to have found that sort of environment right now with a group of people who are you know putting the pedal down and doing it for all the mm -hmm. right reasons and have created this so much momentum um, and it's it's such an accelerant for problem solving, for growing, um, to be able to have access to this mastermind. So probably gave you a little bit too much info there. No, no, I love it. And last night when I was looking up the location map of Alaire Homes, I was just amazed. You guys are all over North America. Um, What's the advantage to to builders to to having you know to partner with Allaire? I mean, what what did they get out of the? Yeah, and that's a it's almost it's very often the first question whether you're asking it like as from a third party standpoint or them asking what do I get out of Allaire? And the right <clears throat> the right question is what could we do with it or what could you do with it? And that takes understanding it first. So I can share with you what I see others do and why. Uh, what it's meant to them and how and how it happens, which I think is far more powerful than, hey, what am I going to get out of it? Um, and hmm. it's really what we do is help uh, a business owner and their team or their company delve into untapped potential through collaboration with a mastermind and not have to do everything themselves. It's, um, when you look at the traditional custom home builder, they're they are wearing like 11 hats and stressed out. Uh, most of them don't have the proper systems and structure in place and they're just on a treadmill and their businesses, you don't meet too many custom home builders or remodelers that have sold their business, have had a graceful exit. Most of them just shut the door because who wants to buy that life? And it's a lot of pressure on them because they need to be, they need to have, be able to provide leadership for every single aspect of the of the business and that may not be their specialty and it may not be their passion um so you find a lot of builders that will not sacrifice quality and that artisan feel where they they want to be that craftsman style builder and they know hey i can't scale that because other people won't you know do it as well as me. So it has to always be me. So <clears throat> we really, when, when I'm looking at it or interviewing a builder, I'm looking at it from the standpoint of, Hey, who are you? What do you want to achieve? Who's on your team and what do they need? How are you creating uh, opportunity for them? And what is your highest and best use as a, as a person? What should you be doing in your business? And what do you want out of it? Like, do you want to have a valuable asset or do you want, uh, are you trying to create more free time? And then, you know, from there, there's about 20 different things that we dig into and get right under the hood with them to figure out what they've done already, what they've tried, what's working now, what's not working, 
what they believe, where their belief, where they need, may need to see some proof, uh, where they may need some encouragement uh, to look at something. Because you get a lot of, you know, at first when we, when we didn't have uh, a lot of notoriety in the, we weren't well known at all. Everybody thought, you know, franchise, we just did a podcast called, you know, talking about the F word. Um, and builders <laughs> said, no, franchises for people who, um, you know, who, who can't run a business or, you know, for people who want to get into a business, it's like, okay, well, what, what it was, we quickly saw was very different. It was that people thought that they were losing who they were. And when the model was created, it was important to Blair and the first guys in it, it, it all started as a mastermind. Actually, it's a franchise by accident because it was the only structure that would allow this mastermind to exist. So uh, being able to tap into that, uh, tap into that mastermind and, and grow uh, is something that people didn't, uh, didn't really understand at, uh, at first. They thought it was just, you know, systems and structure and uh, all that sort of, or that they were going to have to buy their, their lumber or their nails, or uh, they would have to use this HVAC company. It's not that at all. It, um, yeah, like a traditional franchise. Yeah. Know, if you want to open a McDonald's, you've got to buy their right. stuff, right, from yeah. their suppliers. Yeah, like pizza dough yeah. or uh, whatever. So we call it the accidental mm -hmm. franchise, sometimes the unfranchise, because they really turned <clears throat> what the industry thought it was on its head and said, no you are still yourself. You're your team. We're just going to take the stuff off your plate that you're not good at, you're not passionate about, and that it left to your own devices you probably wouldn't even do. And you're not, you're for sure not going to maintain it or stay on the cutting edge of it. Well, imagine if you had every single aspect of a custom home building business was constantly being worked on by a whole hive of committed and passionate people. So, I often liken it to depending on where I am. If I'm if I'm in if I'm in the Carolinas, I'll say it's like a NASCAR team. If I'm you know if I'm somewhere else, I might say a Formula One team because <clears throat> I'm much more of a Formula One fan. But it's like taking somebody who says, "I why would I go that? I already know how to drive." It's like this is not the same. This is not the same thing. And you cannot do what you're doing without a team. Uh, I think Mark Messier has got a podcast like nobody, nobody does it alone or, or, or a book. It's like, if you want to really achieve, stop trying to do it all on your own and be a leader and create opportunity and make sure that your team has access to resources and infrastructure that make that, that give them the opportunity to win. And that's what Allaire has, has done. And, you know, it's, like I said, we just passed a hundred offices. So that, that's pretty exciting. And, and we get to see some amazing stories of growth, you know, where um, my, my, the last builder that uh, joined me in South Carolina is doing about $15 million a year, just landed, I'm going to say, somewhere between a 70 and $80 million project. And to see like game changing things like that, we've had, we've had uh, business owners go through horrible situations like cancer where they, if this had been them with one or two project managers in their previous business model, it would, you would have been done. You would have been bankrupt. You would have, it would have been all over at the most trying time in your life. Uh, but instead now when that happens, the team has support, the team has been trained. There's specific roles. Everybody knows their lane and the energy and resources come together and and it takes me back to the formula one example you can't just put anybody in the car and crash it that's why we are so very careful in going through um and we've kissed a few toads in our time uh but <laughs> we are so very careful now about digging in and really learning about uh, about the builder where they want to go with it it takes about minimum four to six months for the for a mutual exploration process um and a lot of times even longer because you're you're dealing with very sensitive things uh big movers in markets 
uh, but it's fun now that it's um, becoming more uh, more attractive to the the top level builders who have yeah. who have become a success uh, on their own. Now it's exciting to go. Well, imagine what you can do next if you had all this. If we put them into that Formula One cockpit, <laughs> and, and so we could, uh, you know, I got. Ended yeah. up getting into the podcast where we get to tell some of these stories and others tell their stories too. So, um, yeah, it's cool. Well, I want to talk about the podcast sure. in just a sec, but I don't know anything about about construction, but I'm just thinking about like the supply chain issues that we've had over the last two years. If I was a builder and I had to solve that one on my own, that would probably take all of my time, not to mention all of the other variables related to building yeah, homes. Yeah, and that's right? just one example. I mean, there's also the the shortage of project management staff, uh, shortage of trades and, and supply. But, you know, the thing that we're starting to see is this um, emerging buying power where we are getting preferred treatment uh, from vendors, and that's only going to continue to grow. I believe we're already the world's largest um, custom home builder and remodeler, and uh, we, we've that's kind of flown under the radar for a long time. But... There's that element where it's not always about, oh, we're going to use our buying power to, uh, to get the pr- best price. For us, because we deliver an experience to our clients, we want our clients to have an experience with us, that um, it's about, hey, how do, we, how do we help our suppliers level up? How do we train them about um, the type of experience we want to deliver and make sure that that's, that's aligning? And so... I'll call it uh, influence instead. Uh, instead, because when you can start to influence some of that stuff, um, it's it becomes that's the next that's the next level, and it all it's all getting faster and faster too. So, yeah. Well, you've alluded to this a couple of times in this interview, Dave, and that is that you kind of struggled to fit into traditional settings, <laughs> and when we had a conversation a few weeks ago you talked about being diagnosed with ADHD as an adult and uh, I think that's just super fascinating that you came to that awareness and that that you discovered that you needed to work on that and I'd love for you to share with our audience what that experience was like in terms of discovering sure. that and also now how you actually kind of harness yeah, it. Yeah, right? because it can, you can turn it into a superpower um, once you understand yourself a little bit more. For me, this sort of all came together. Like I always knew that I was, uh, you would have, back in the day, you would have called me a dreamer. Now it's it's a, it's a visionary, right? It's, a, it's somebody who has lots of ideas and uh, is, you know, and does some of them and is successful, but has a lot that they either don't do or some that they do and don't, don't work out. Um, but you know, I, I recognized that in myself early on and I had a hard time, uh, staying excited or passionate about a purpose or a career. I just was, and like I said, when I would go and work for a company, I found it to be so stifling. It, there wasn't that creative outlet that I needed. There wasn't the opportunity to, to grow and, um, imagine and create a different future so i started to develop what i call the visionary's curse which is these feelings of uh delusion where people tell you all the time you know and you hear all your life your whole life you know you need to work on this particular thing you're not good at this you need to work at it and it's like (laughs) i've heard that yeah exactly right and it's like you need to you know uh, and I think about this with when it was air sales versus operations. The operations people would say, "Well, you need to get better at operations." And I'm like, "Why would you guys want me anywhere near operations? Like, why would I focus on that?" <laughs> but I guess I have to, so you would. And then you're so you end up suffering through something that you're not good at, you don't like, and you you have all this negative energy. But um, so so you start to feel like you start to question yourself too, and say. Well, why am I not? Why am I not doing more of these things? Uh, had a really interesting interaction with uh, one of my brothers, where I said, "Hey, like I was telling him about, I got this idea, and I started telling him about it. And he turned to me and said, "Stop right there! I don't want to hear about something else you're not going to do." 
And oh. I was like, okay, reality check. And I started thinking more and more about this. And I'd, actually, I'd already started thinking about, well, why, why is this happening to me? And I, a combination of things came together. It was EOS traction and learning about the roles of the integrator and the visionary and why they were different and why they were both important. And I went, wow, that's me. And this is what, these are all the things that I'm not good at. And people are telling me all the time I should fix them. And you start to realize, wow, we're conditioned to believe this. And that society really values the doer far more than the seer or the creator. And so you start to feel like, you, you start to feel like you don't fit in. I call it like the land of misfit toys. And, you know, um, anyway. Uh, and Dave, explain EOS. Yeah. That's from the book from Gene, Gene yeah, Whitman, right? Yeah, that's the Entrepreneurial Operating System. So thanks for slowing me down mm-hmm. there. Um, yeah. No, that's, that's um, and, and it is a, a business operating system for entrepreneurs, probably the most notable one. Amazing tool for structuring your business, creating uh, the right cadence with which to hold your meetings, helping teammates understand each other, what they should be doing, staying in their lane, and really just brings, reduces some of the chaos that can creep into or that usually takes over uh, an entrepreneur's uh, life. So highly recommend that and and the look at the visionary and the integrator, how they both need each other. So that was happening. I read the book, Who Not How, by uh, Dan Sullivan and Ben Hardy. This was happening as part of my journey and then instantly reached out and, and signed up for coaching with um, with a strategic coach. Took a Colby test. I had forgotten that I had taken one 15 years before. Ironically, I had the, the nearly the same score, one number off. And my Colby score indicated that I was uh, an innovator, visionary, had had that type of mindset, and that's where I should be spending my energy. I was okay on fact-finding, lower on follow-through, and on implementation, I was pure vision. I, I did not want to mess with stuff for for too long. And when I think about you know my score versus, which is a two on the, uh, on the implementer side, Versus somebody who's like a nine or ten, the opposite of that is somebody who would who loves like building a ship in a bottle. Like for me, like you would be hard pressed <laughs> to find something more painful for me to do than than that type. <laughs> What's your overall cold? My score overall there? score is a four three ten two. So, wow. I'm a very super quick super start quick then. start. Uh, innovator, so and mm, fairly low on fact finder and and follow through, but yeah. but not useless. I in in those. So <laughs> that I took my Clifton Strengths, uh, the Strengths Finder score, um, and that was pretty interesting too because there's 34 different. Uh, I think it's like 34 different strengths that we all have and it ranks them and then it tells you it shows you that you know you should be here's your top five and don't do anything that's not in your top 10 so that said that you know my my top five were strategy ideation futurism positivity and input so four of the first five were all around strategy and envisioning ironically the next five were all around influence so you start to see that this is a this is a person who has all these big ideas needs to combine that with some influence otherwise they won't be able to talk anybody into doing any of this stuff with them so uh we got to um you know it was my one of my business partners in Allaire who had brought EOS into our business and, and Allaire is now using it across the board with all, all of the offices. It's just such a, and the senior leadership team, it's just such a great platform. 
But going through this discovery and learning about what I felt was the visionary's curse and the pressure that I was putting on myself or how I was feeling about that and how I was viewed, I then looked at, well, what's the implementer's curse? What does that look like? And that's somebody who's commoditized and they don't get to follow a meaningful mission or they they get pigeonholed doing this hard grunt work uh, where they don't ever get to see the real fruits of their of their value and they have a life of no purpose uh you know the visionary runs the risk of a life with no direction at all and doesn't get anywhere but the opposite is somebody working their brains out or working their guts out and never being satisfied either so where all this stuff comes together uh and is when you understand the different types of relationships when you understand the different colby scores but i didn't get there until i understood about myself and my advice to anybody else is go dig into who you are how you're wired you know unlearn a whole bunch of stuff and just and just figure out like hey what am i what am i good at what do i love to do where do i find my energy where do i gravitate uh towards and get some of these scores to help you with it uh and then when you do and you're with your team or you're developing a team start to look at how those how those personas interact with each other uh you know and by that i mean uh, i mean how people like to spend their energy and uh uh put forth their efforts and apply towards that purpose or that mission uh because you'll have something different which is core values i mean you want to make sure that as humans you're wired with the same level of uh, goodness or uh passions about certain things but we're talking about how how you communicate the type of energy that you um that is appealing to you and all, all that sort of stuff that you that you need to explore with your team and i've been able to uh, we went and did some of the colby team testing and i was fortunate that we had pretty much nailed it down pretty good is what the test came back we had all all bases uh nearly all bases covered but to go through that with your team and then to be able to have a communication where one teammate says oh dave don't do that you hate doing that kind of stuff i'll take that or i i see something that's you know in my lane and that got put on their plate and you know you, you take that uh from them so i'm laughing dave because you know my boss dan yeah. rogers and I literally have been in meetings where someone floated an idea and said, Mark, could you do that? And Dan jumps in and says, that is the last thing that right. Mark should do. And because he knows what my strengths are and he knows what my right. weaknesses are. And he, he's like, that would be a complete waste of time, our time and his right. time. And that's a great, I mean, it's such a great leadership move too, right? And one of the hallmarks of a great leader mm -hmm. is the ability to accept leadership and to have everybody on the team leading each other and that's kind of where you can get to when you all have this mutual understanding and you know the things to value about each other and you know the things the situations yeah. not to put uh, each other in so what you end up with is this team who are for the large part i mean you, you can never get it 100 percent dialed in we're you know that's rainbows and unicorns territory there but um where to, to the best of your ability, you're you're dialed right in on stuff that you like and yeah. that you're good at. And that just creates so much momentum, so much allegiance and loyalty within your um, within your team and then spectacular results. So, you know, it feels yeah. way more freeing than being a burden or being commoditized or being held back. So I hope you're okay with me sharing this part of it, Dave, but you were diagnosed oh. with ADHD and then you are taking a prescription. And you told me when we talked a few weeks ago, it was like a light bulb went on when you, when you got dialed yeah. in. And I'd love to know more about this because uh, I'm considering getting tested. I know a bunch of people who, who are adults who are considering getting tested for ADHD. And I just think yours is such a sure, success. Sure, thanks. Story. Yeah, so... Um so they, the same brother that uh, had said to me, uh, please don't tell me about something you're not going to do, uh, also came to me one day and said, I want you to fill this out. I, got, I, I want to I survey you. Can I survey you? He, he didn't say fill this out. He said survey me. 
And so we went, uh, he read through the questions, I gave my answers, and I said, well, what's this all about? And he said, well, I just got uh, diagnosed with ADHD, and every time I looked at it, like everything that I've read, it's, it's you. And I'm like, and that's what that thing was. And he says, yeah, and you're, you're like, your answers were even worse than mine, dude. Uh, so I'm like, well, all right, so what do, what do I do about it? And so uh, he shared with it, me his story. And so I'm going to share mine here now for, um, for you guys too. I went to the doctor and said, hey, here's these, uh, you know, here's the, here's the results. I kind of like, I didn't want to go through all kinds of extra tests and everything like that. I, um, I ended up, you know, sharing this information kind of talking my way into like, can't we just settle this right here and no more, no more stuff. Like, and if it doesn't work, we'll, we'll stop. And he felt comfortable doing that. So I ended up, um, you know, for the first time in my life, I, I had no idea that I had ADHD and you, you don't think about it until you do one of those, do one of those tests. So I got a prescription for Vyvanse and still on it it's funny because i took one today and it wears off for me it wears off around about five minutes before we started talking so everybody who's listening goes that, so that guy is full on it. he yeah he did take his uh his his vivance today i didn't take my lunchtime kicker but um what a difference it was for me because uh and it only took me a couple days the, the first couple of days, it was like um, I felt like I had had a whole bunch of caffeine. I felt um, like I felt a bit of a buzzing, but my mind was really, really switched on. And that buzzing might have been some sort of feedback or getting used to the idea. But within, you know, another couple of days after that, I was able to focus with much more clarity Um I stopped forgetting some of the things that I would, you know, uh, forget. Like you would turn on the sink and then go, you know, oh, go grab something and come oh. back and the sink's still running. And you're like, oh am God. I getting, no, that's what 80 year olds do and why they can't have an apartment by themselves. Right. That's not, that's not <laughs> me. Like why? Um, and I, so Dave, I'm that guy that puts stuff on top of the yeah. car while I'm loading the car and forgets the stuff is on top right. of the car and I'm driving down the freeway and I hear a noise and I look in the rear view. Oh, there, there, that, there, that is, it's on the yeah, freeway now. That, and my family's just like, Oh, it, it, it can, <laughs> I'm glad I'm not alone. Happen. Remind me, I have a Starbucks cup story for you at some point. Um, <laughs> we can, we can circle back to, you could tell oh, it now well, if you want. One of the best advertising or like marketing, uh, things I have ever seen. This was a glider pilot in Arizona. He had like a really old station wagon um, that looked almost like the Ghostbusters ambulance, like <clears throat> that, that sort of vintage, maybe, maybe five years newer than that. And we were talking to him and, and uh, he was just getting into his car and about to pull away. And we're like, whoa, whoa, dude, you forgot your uh, your coffee. And he said, I just wanted to prove something to you there. And he's like, well, what? He's like, watch people's reaction when they when you they think that you have done something like that. Now he had a Starbucks cup, and he had glued it down. And so people <laughs> would come up to him, roll their window down, and and he would roll his window down. And they would say, hey, you got a you got a thing there. And he would say, oh, you know what? Thanks for being so cool to mention. Here's my business card. And then he would drive off with the thing there and people would look at him. And like it was the weirdest thing because you felt compelled as a good human <laughs> to say something. Your next reaction was to roll your window down and he would roll his down. And then there was an exchange. So really oh interesting uh, idea there. So... <clears throat> The Vivant stuff and, and discovering ADHD um, kind of leads into another story that you and I have talked about. Um, I have an interest in writing. I've read a lot of books as a kid, 
50, 60 novels during the school year alone, plus whatever I read uh, during the summer. And I loved to write. And I um, write as the, about the time I was, uh, had met my wife, right around the same time, I had had uh, a buddy driving up to the lake say something to me in the car. And instantly, with clarity, a movie went through my head. And by the time we got up to the lake, which was only about another hour from where it happened, uh, I had been talking his ear off. I had scenes ready to go. And all weekend, I just kept churning it, churning it, churning it in my head. And so Monday morning, back to Toronto, hadn't downloaded screenwriting software. I think I got it on a CD. I also downloaded uh, a script because I thought if I'm going to write a if I'm going to write a movie, I better read a script. So I downloaded Get Shorty to see what a script looked like, and uh, that later that night I just started typing. And seven weeks later, I had a full feature length, you know, script done. Uh, and I thought, wow, this is fun. And I had more ideas just emerging from my head. And I sat down and started writing more of them. And same time, I've just met this great new girl. And uh, near the end of the summer, I submit this to Francis Ford Coppola's uh, screenwriting competition. And instantly kind of forgot about it because couple months prior to that, I didn't even know what a script, hadn't even read one, right? So what are, what are the chances? So anyway, <clears throat> Terry Lynn and I are hitting it off. Well, next thing you know, we're engaged. I've landed that one of those big corporate jobs that I've talked with you about here. And, you know, the idea of being a movie writer, you know, taking a back seat and, you know, next it's kids, family, like, that's that's in the rear view, Dave. Like all your life, you're told, no, you got to do the responsible thing. You can't, you can't, you know, you can't go after that. So, anyway, I just thought, all right, it's in the rear view. Well, I get an email. Uh, I'm at my desk, and you know, I, lo and behold, I've made the quarterfinals, which I thought was amazing considering. And uh, but anyway, not it wasn't like I won. It wasn't compelling enough to say, "Hey, I'm giving up this this dream here, um, <laughs> honey. We're going to California." It wasn't anything like that. But what came from it was the um, my wife shared my wife Terry Lynn shared that with our. I've got three teenage daughters. Now they weren't all quite teenagers at the time this happened a few years ago, but they didn't know about any of this, and they were talking about movies and. Terry Lynn said, well, do you know, do you know the dad's written movies? And they're like, you have? And, and I'm like, hold on. I haven't written movies. I've written scripts. And that's what gets turned into a movie with a whole lot of work. And they said, well, what kind? And so I told them about, I told them about uh, one of the movies. And then I had some other movie ideas. And I, I, I used to love telling them stories and making up stories for them. So they said, dad, dad, will you, will you write a movie for us? And I'm like, wow, absolutely. What kind of movie do you want? And I'm thinking, just not that. And sure enough, they said, we want a horror. So a horror movie. It's like, I'm this, I, I'm positivity, you know, super visual and creative. I do not want any of that stuff in my head, right? Like if it's a real psycho thriller, that's a real thinker, like Silence of the Lambs. Yes. Anything slasher. No. They want, it's got to be set in a school. It's got to be kids. It's got to be, uh, what do you want to have in it? They're like, we want payback. I'm like, because they were at the age where it was like payback was a good thing, right? <clears throat> oh, yeah. So I said, okay, what the heck? And I asked three, maybe four questions. And then again, movie right through my head. So I didn't go get the screenwriting software or anything like that out. What we did is when we would go on car trips, I would tell a bit more of it. Uh, I would tell pieces. And it got to the point where uh, my 
daughter for her 15th birthday said, Dad, for my birthday, I have four friends coming over. Will you have dinner with us and tell the Joey Friesen story? Tell the movie story. So for her 15th birthday, we sat down, took about an hour and 10 or an hour and 15 minutes to tell it from start to finish. And never have I had an audience so entranced and engaged and waiting for what I was going to say next. It was so much fun. And Ava just prayed on the timing. Uh, She just leveraged that timing so well. She said, Dad, I know you said you're going to do it, but now it's my birthday. You have to promise me that you're going to try and get this get this movie made. So what am I going to say? So, yeah, and I'm filled with all this adrenaline. I have a great time telling the story. And it's about the same time that I'm, you know, learning about ADHD. Why haven't I, you know, I'm, it's, it's COVID. I'm writing bits and pieces here and there. I'm not, don't feel like I'm committed. Don't, don't feel like I can focus on it. And, uh, I get my diagnosis. I take my medication and around the same time, I have a collaboration call with, um, another entrepreneur meeting him for the very first time and he just asks what's something you know unusual or something fun that most people wouldn't know you're working on and so I shared you know the movie and some of that some of that story and he said will you tell it to me and I spent the next hour and 20 minutes it went dark we went through it he was emotional he shared with me one of the themes of the movie um one of the themes of the movie is teenage suicide and teenage depression. So, and he had been personally affected by this with family members and friends of uh, family before. So, uh, it was it was a really inspiring conversation. And a, a few days later, I woke up in the morning and I'm like, everything was kicking in, everything was firing. I was in the zone, and in two basically two days. So over the Christmas holidays, I wrote a 10,000 word treatment uh, of this of, of the story from which a script could be uh, could be developed. So it, it was just it I more and more I've been having moments where I can really get a lot done in a focused in a very, very focused way and uh, stay on track and uh, do things to completion. Whereas before I would have 50 things started. Now I only have 10 started. So I'm not all the way there yet, but it's definitely, uh, definitely progress. So if I were to sum that up, uh, combine all of those things or many of the things that we've talked about, it goes back to, Hey, take a good look at yourself. And it could be how you're, uh, it, it could be how you're, uh, you're wired in terms of your thinking and thought patterns. It could be, uh, are you a visionary? Are you an integrator? What's important to you? What are you passionate about? Where should you be spending your energy? Really, really dig into that because it's been way more fun for me having experienced that and having more, more, a larger percentage of my time like that and, and getting rid of the, uh, those other elements. Well, Dave, this has been just so much fun talking with you and learning from you and I'm super inspired and if folks want to hear more about the podcast it's called Builder Nuggets podcast and it's uh, super interesting if for those folks in the building industry um, thank you Dave I just really appreciate your example and your honesty and I don't think it's a mistake that you're as successful as you are because uh, of all the things that you stand for and just how you show up in life man this has been so much fun <laughs> thanks well you know what it's it's just such uh it's such a, a freedom i i call it freedom of relationship with yourself um you know tan sullivan who we talked about earlier um in strategic coach and he talks about the four freedoms and how important freedom of relationship is and who you let into your life and i just took another look at it as i was going through this and said well what about freedom of relationship with yourself and um uh, I hope I hope that people do dig in dig into it because uh, it, it's really rewarding and, and fun to uh, discover and, and a big relief to just 
be yourself and be surrounded by people who like get it and appreciate it and like and like that. Um, so that's where, that's where good stuff happens when you get into those collaborations. It's been a fun. Uh, it's been a fun conversation too. We we covered a lot of ground on a lot of different weird and uh, wacky things. So uh, you know, uh, lots of other adventures coming up too. So we'll have to reconnect again sometime. And yeah, and thanks for mentioning Builder Nuggets. We have a lot of people tell us that it it should have been called Business Nuggets uh, because it's really relatable to any um, small uh, small business. And there's literally something for any for every bit of business owner in there. But that's you know. We didn't even go down that road. I did not want to do a podcast. I mean, I said, no way are we doing this, doing this thing. And now we've got, you know, it's a couple of years ago and, and it's been fun. So, so many great topics. We'll have too. to have another, yeah. we'll have to have another, we'll have to have another chat, Mark. I look forward to, to doing this again when we got, uh, when we got more time. And we'll link to all your stuff in the show notes, Dave. Yeah. Thanks. And um, yeah, keep me posted on your uh personal you know you can't have me uh, put me up here on in the spotlight and ask all those questions and then not follow up and tell me how things worked out for you okay i will i will keep in touch my friend take care all right see ya i'm mark wright thanks for listening to beats working part of the work p2p family new episodes drop every monday and if you've enjoyed the conversation subscribe rate and review this podcast Special thanks to show producer and web editor Tamar Medford. In the coming weeks, you'll hear from our Contributors Corner and Sidekick Sessions. Join us next week for another episode of Beats Working, where we are winning the game of work.